Lord, the, the prayer we just prayed and asking you to speak, we continue to pray it, knowing that these are your truths unchanged from the dawn of time. Lord, by grace, would you enable us to act by faith, help us to walk. We look forward to beholding wondrous things from your law this morning, Lord, in this well-known text in James chapter 1. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you'll apply these truths to our hearts and help us to walk in obedience to them. In Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the hardest parts of the parenting process, and I think one of the parts that Bethany and I are currently engulfed in, is teaching our children the proper responses. Teaching a kid how to respond properly is exceedingly difficult. And it's probably really hard to teach them how to respond well, as she's looking at me with a big smile on her face right now, because we have this conversation all the time, don't we, about responding well, but it's so difficult to teach our children how to respond well, isn't it? Why? Because we are often a terrible example of what it looks like to respond well. And so when we're with our kid and we're on the playground and we're having a good day, we've been there for about an hour, and we say, okay, it's time to leave the playground, we have World War III on our hands. Or you tell your child that they need to finish their broccoli before they get up from their chair, and you have World War IV on your hands. But teaching them how to respond properly is a significant part of parenting, and responding properly in our own lives is important to the events of the situations that God brings within our lives. This is imperative. And within this morning's passage, I think one of the main points that James is really going to get across to us this morning, and it's really what I've titled the sermon, is responding properly to the Word of God. As Christians, we are to respond properly always to the Word of God. In verse 18, which we looked at last week together, he said that it was of God's own will that you and I were brought forth by the Word of truth. So all of this is from God. This is all of the work of God. Being brought forth and and being spiritually reborn is not the work of ourselves. Being reborn is the work of God. This is of God's own will. And so God is in the business of bringing people to life by the Word of truth. And so the question is... Now that you and I have become Christians, now that we have been brought forth by the word of truth, how then do we walk? How then do we live? How do we properly respond to this word that we have been brought forth by, this word that according to verse 21, has been implanted within us? And I think that we see the answer in three main points, which are all in the back of your bulletin, by the way, if you'd like to follow along. But the first one, is that we should accept the word with meekness. And that's in verses 19 to 21. The second, we should adhere to the word with perseverance. That's 22 to 25. And then we should articulate our words with care. And then I think verse 27 is an example that James brings about to show us what it would look like as people of the word of God, how would we live practically as those who have the implanted word Within us, And so just as young children need to learn the proper response to, to, to certain situations, and adults have to learn how to properly respond, we all need to respond well as those who have been brought forth by the word of truth to this implanted word within us. Yet what I think what is often missed when this passage, 
is preached or taught is that what James mentions in verse 19, that, that famous little saying that he gives there in verse 19 where he says, being quick to hear, being slow to speak, and being slow to wrath. And so I don't think that those are necessarily, although they could be good principles that we should teach our kids, right? Be slow to speak, be slow to wrath, be quick to hear. Like that's a, that's a good principle to get across. But I think James is using these three abbreviated statements to, to be abbreviations of what he's about to expound on in the coming verses. And so we should be slow to wrath. But for James, what would that look like? What would it look like in the life of a Christian to be slow to wrath? Well, I think he shows us in verses 19 to 21, where he shows us that we should accept the word with meekness. And you see the connection here. Your response to God's word shouldn't be that of anger. Instead, it should be to accept the word with meekness. But then in verses 22 to 25, he expounds upon what it would look like to be quick to hear. We should adhere to the word with perseverance. And verse 22 may be one of the more popular verses in the entire book of James where he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so how is somebody in the abbreviation going to be quick to hear? What's that going to look like in their life? It's going to be verses 22 to 25. They're going to actually not be just hearers. They're going to be doers of the word. And then third, what about being slow to speak? Verse 26 shows us how we should articulate our words with care. We should be slow to speak. But first, we should accept the word with meekness. Look at verse 19 with me. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I haven't made much mention of it up until this point in the book of James, but over and over you see this familial language, don't you, that James uses. Look how he begins verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, this word for brothers here is, is gender inclusive. Okay? J- James isn't only talking to the men within the church. This, this word Adelphoi really is, is generic in the sense that it can be gender inclusive. I remember my, my uh, junior high English teacher oftentimes, and he was really old school, and uh, he would say, does everybody have his pencil? Well, he wasn't only talking to the boys in the class, he was talking to everyone. He was just using a generic pronoun, which I suppose in today's world is the most taboo thing you can do is to apply a pronoun to somebody that um, they haven't applied to themselves. But what James is doing is, is the same thing in terms of the inclusivity. That he's saying brothers, meaning brothers and sisters. And I love the pastoral tenderness that James uses as he's speaking to his persecuted sheep. Remember, the, these are brothers and sisters who are not living the cushy life. They are not living their best life now. They are not living the American dream. They are scattered. They've been dispersed because of persecution. And yet James, over and over, almost 20 times within the small book of James, he says, brothers, sisters. And here, attaching the word beloved, these are his beloved brothers and sisters. One of the beautiful things about becoming a Christian is that when God does bring you forth by his own word is that you're born into a rather large family. We talked a lot about this last week. Again, where God brings us forth by his own will, but you're brought forth into the family of God. You're brought forth into a family of love, aren't you? That all of a sudden, because you're a Christian, you now have brothers and sisters who love 
you. And some are older. Some of your older brothers, your older sisters. Some are progressing and growing right along with you. And there you are as a new Christian with the benefit of an older brother and an older sister. And this group of people who we call the church suddenly becomes priority in your life, don't they? Because you have all of the most important things in common. You have the the same father that we looked at last week, this father of lights. You have your big brother Jesus, and all of us belong to the family of God. And so these are James's beloved brothers and sisters. But notice again what he tells them in verse 19. So beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. And again, I think these three phrases are really regulating the rest of the passage, yet he handles them in reverse order. So be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, and then he immediately tells us why it's important to be slow to anger. When James uses this word for anger here, he's not referring to what you and I may have experienced with like those sudden outbursts of somebody outbursting in anger against us or our own outbursts of anger. He's really describing this settled anger, almost like volcanic, underneath the ground type of anger. And that even as the word of God is preached and as you read God's word, it may, con- it may confront you. It will confront you if you're reading it properly, right? That if the Bible always agrees with you, you really probably just have an idealized version of yourself that you're reading. That if it always looks exactly like you want it to look. But if it's confronting you, there are times that even in the life of a Christian, you can read what God's Word says, and it bothers you. Yet the Christian should not be bothered or angered by what he reads in the Word. What does James say? That we should receive the Word with meekness. And so you were brought forth by the word of truth, according to verse 18. Yet as you begin your Christian journey, you're to continue to receive the word of God with a proper spirit, a spirit of humility. The the fertile soil in which the word of God is going to take serious root in, within a heart, is a heart of humility. God's word will seep into a heart of humility, but it will not seep into a heart of anger. The heat of a person's anger will always scorch out the potential growth of the word. And you notice what anger will keep away from a person. Again, verse 20, what anger drives away is the righteousness of God. Anger does not produce God's righteousness. On the flip side, what does produce the righteousness of God? The word of truth. And so the word of truth is what saves you, and it's the word of truth that sanctifies you. It's the word of truth that produces righteousness within you, holiness, by the Spirit of God taking His word in your life. And so it's important to know that when James uses the words, the righteousness of God, he is not using them in the way that the Apostle Paul often uses the words, the righteousness of God. When James uses it, it, he's using much more... He's, a, he's using it in a way Jesus would use it. He's using it in a way that a lot of the Old Testament authors would have used it. When he's talking more about uh, sanctification and holiness, where Paul would often use the righteousness of God in, in more of a justifying act. That the righteousness of God has been applied to you, therefore you are justified in light of that. But James uses the language, the righteousness of God, more in a sanctifying way. That the righteousness of God, the word of truth, brings about righteous behavior and holiness in your life. As one author has said, James's very simple point is that human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. But what can produce behavior that is pleasing to God? It's the word 
of truth. And I think that's one of the things that we really have to understand in regard to the righteousness of God, but also understanding that it is not you picking up yourself by your own bootstraps and doing this thing. Although it does say, be a doer of the word. We have to understand the underlying fact that we could have never done that unless God had brought us forth by the word of truth. That if he had not brought us forth by the gospel, we could not live according to the gospel. And so it's the spirit through his word that is enabling us to do all of these things in our lives. But look with me at verse 21. So how do we prepare ourselves for this work? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So in light of this, what should you do? You need to put away filthiness and wickedness. Why? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? That filthiness and wickedness are blocks to receiving the word. Filthiness and wicked intercept the work of the word in your life. I recently learned that the word filthiness came to be known in non-biblical literature as earwax. Filthiness being earwax. And that makes sense, doesn't it? That you can't receive the message of the word because of the earwax that is blocking the message from getting in. I mean, we can all hear our mothers at this point after telling us to do something a hundred times. To go and clean your ears out and listen, right? And this is why before coming to worship and why before taking your Bible and reading it, you should be sure that you have prayed and asked God to, to remove the filthiness and the wickedness from you. To go before him in confession. And ask Him to forgive you of your impure thoughts and actions. To remove the earwax from your spiritual ears. So that you can receive the word that has been implanted within you. When a Christian is not receiving the word with humility. Only two things can be true. Either they really aren't a Christian. Or they have a ton of wax build up. When a person is not hearing the word of God. And doing the word of God. Either they are not a Christian. Or there is severe wax buildup in their spiritual ears. Is this a reality for you? Is a reason the implanted word within you isn't growing because there is sin that is just causing this not to happen? The person who's receiving the word with meekness is running toward the word wherever they can find it. They want to listen to good preaching and teaching. They want to read books on the word. They want to spend time in the word. But a person with filthiness and wickedness in their life does not even want to spend the time doing so. The desire of a genuine Christian who is pure in his or her life is to receive the implanted word with all humility. And the word implant is a strange way to put it, isn't it? But the word has been implanted into the Christian. I don't say it to be gratuitous, but you can get implants for all kinds of things these days. I can remember when I was young and probably a teenager. I don't know why I was watching this TV show. But there was this very insecure man who was was really muscular. He had big arms, big shoulders. He had the six-pack. He had all of that. But his problem was, and he was irritated about it, is that he couldn't get his calves to be big. And so he'd work his calves out all the time, and he only had these skinny little legs. And so apparently, what you do when you have skinny calves is you get calf implants. And so they sliced open the back of his legs. They slid these pads in. And so now he's walking around on the beach and he's got these big calves, right? So these implants giving the impression that he had uh, calves that were bigger than they really were. Yet when God causes us to come alive by his own will, through the word of truth, 
He implants the word within us. And instead of giving the impression that our spiritual muscles are huge, the implanted word enables our spiritual muscles to grow. It's the word that, according to verse 22, is able to save your souls. Again, I don't think James is saying um, in here to initial salvation in a justifying sense, but that this word is able to sanctify us and to keep us until we are ultimately saved when we are with the Lord. So it can keep us and hold us until he saves us. And so this is the first step, I think, of responding to the word is really preparation for the word to remove the sinful earwax and to receive the word with meekness that has been implanted within us. But second, we should adhere to the word with perseverance. We should be quick to hear. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word <clears throat> and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so we should adhere to the word with perseverance. James wants these Christians to be quick to hear. Notice he says in verse 25, not hearers only. So that abbreviation, be quick to hear. But don't be hearers only. He doesn't just want them to be listeners. By being quick to hear and not hearers only, he expects them to be doers of the word. But it's obvious to James that there are people who profess to be Christians who all they do is listen and they do not do. And this is something that Jesus himself speaks to and emphasizes. Again, James borrows much from Jesus. But Christ says in Luke chapter 11, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Or what Jesus says famously in Matthew chapter 7, with the one who builds his house upon the rock. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the wise man, the one who not only hears the word of God, but he does the word of God, he has built his house upon a rock. The foolish man who hears the word and doesn't do the word, he builds his house upon a sand. And I think within the context of the church, if your experience is anything like mine, you have known people who are willing to listen to the word every single week. They're willing to read the word at home, but they are not willing to do the word. We wonder why in certain situations, why people fall away. They were in church year after year, listening to preaching. They were reading their Bibles. They were going to Bible studies. The reality is that there are many Christians who are excellent hearers of the word, yet not really, because they don't do the word. I'm always thankful when, when people encourage me after a sermon and express that they're appreciative for the sermon. And the reality is I never know how to respond to that because it's God's word. I, I didn't write this thing. It's God's word. And if we're preaching God's word, then ultimately all glory goes to him, right? So really the response is often, well, praise God, right? Because it's his word. But I think I have a new response for when somebody says that, if I could presume that I'll ever preach a good sermon again. <laughs> 
But I hope you don't think that I'm rude if I respond to you this way. Hey, Brandon, thanks for the sermon. Good job. My response will now be, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? So, so you've heard God's word. Great. Everybody else did too. But what are you going to do about what you've heard? Because that's what ultimately matters. As a pastor, my hope isn't just that you've heard a nice message and that you feel good and that you can check the box off that you went to church that morning. My hope is that you walk out of here after hearing the word of God and then you go do what you've heard. Because in James's mind, to be an excellent hearer of the word is to be an excellent doer of the word. And those who are only hearers and not doers are possibly under the greatest form of deception that they could ever experience. I mean, you can sniff out when Satan is trying to deceive you. You can sniff out when another person is trying to deceive you and lead you into sin. But it is awful hard to, to sniff out self-deception when you have deceived yourselves. And you have heard the word and you're deceived into thinking that that is enough. But he gives a metaphor for what this kind of person is like who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. And it's a person who looks into the mirror and then he leaves the mirror forgetting what he looked like. And you've had this experience, haven't you? Hopefully you didn't experience this today before worship, that you looked in the mirror, forgot what you looked like, and just went off and didn't take care of yourself. But there was a, couple time, uh, there was a time a couple weeks ago where I was all ready for the day. I looked in the mirror. My hair wasn't done. Now, contrary to what Mike Sherman thinks, it doesn't take very long to do my hair. I will say, though, that it takes me longer to do my hair than it takes for him to do his hair. But it doesn't take long at all. But that morning, I looked in the mirror, saw my hair wasn't done, planned to do it, but I left the mirror, and I forgot what I looked like. And I went about my day, walking around as though everything was fine. And so it is with the man or woman who looks into the Word of God, They've seen the disheveled appearance and they leave the word of God unchanged. So they go about their day with disheveled hair, without shaving, without brushing your teeth. I don't recommend shaving, but without brushing your teeth, without doing your hair, whatever the case is. But that's exactly what they're like. And although that sounds odd, that's kind of an odd illustration because of course you would look into the mirror and you would see what you had looked like. But we all know what it feels like to walk away and to forget. But the person who does this, who looks and forgets. This is the person who treats the Word of God in a way that is ultimately not that serious. That they see themselves in the Word of God. They know what God's Word says about them. They have looked intently into it. It wasn't even a casual look. And they forgot what they looked like when they left the Word. Why? Because they're only a hearer. They're not a doer. As one commentator has said, the person who forgets what he has seen in God's word is one who reads or listens superficially, not imprinting the message on the soul. But notice what comes to the one who looks into the mirror of God's word or the gospel and obeys and what his lot is in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The one who is quick to hear, and by quick to hear, he means quick to do what he hears. This person is going to be blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, 
stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. The blessed man looks upon the word of God and he meditates on the word of God and he leaves the word of God and does it. This is a blessed man or woman. You want the blessing of God in your life? Be a doer of the word. We pray and we ask God to bless what we put our hands to all the time. Yet the promise here is that the one who is a doer of the word is the one who will be blessed in his doing. As he is going about obeying the word of God, he will be blessed. So we should accept the word with meekness and we should adhere to the word in perseverance. And third, we should articulate our words with care. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, oftentimes you hear the word religion talked about negatively in Christian circles, right? As though religion itself is bad. Uh, Religion is not bad. We belong to the Christian religion. But there is a form of religion, probably several forms of religion, that is bad. And James recognizes one of them here where he says that there is a religion that is worthless. If you think you're religious, that you have a piety and a relationship with God, but you don't bridle your tongue, again, you're self-deceived. And the person and the religion personified by you is worthless. And so you can look the part on the outside, you can have the exterior religion, but you lack that inward piety that he goes on to talk about in the end of verse 27. But because of your unbridled tongue, the fact that you're quick to speak, you display the fact that you don't have a true inward piety, you merely have an external display. Like when Jesus harangues the Pharisees that, we are, that they're like a cup that is clean on the outside, but on the inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Or they're like a whitewashed tomb that's beautifully white and washed, but on the inside is full of dead man's bones. So is the man who is externally religious without any inward true religion. And this theme of the tongue is a recurring theme within James, and so I'm not going to sit on it too long here because James is going to hit that hard in James chapter 3. But the man or woman who cannot bridle their tongue, cannot control their mouth, their religion is worthless. But a person who has pure religion before God, what is an example of that? What would it look like in the life of a Christian to be an example of pure religion? Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's two-sided here, isn't it? But this is a beautiful thing that Christians have often done. And if you look through church history, think of someone like George Mueller who had an orphanage for so many children. One of the things that George Whitfield did when he came to America is he opened this orphanage. Charles Spurgeon had orphanages. And it's almost, I think, a stain upon us as a church where we have not properly obeyed this and cared for orphans and widows in a way that we should to where now the government has to take over. Imagine if the church were the ones who were caring for the orphans. Imagine if the church were the ones who were caring for the widows as they should. Verse 27 is two-sided, that there's this outward care for widows and orphans, but there's also this inward piety to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
It's amazing as you look through Scripture that God has always cared for the widows and the fatherless. In Deuteronomy 10.18, he says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. For the, for the ones who cannot execute justice for themselves, God will execute justice for them. In Deuteronomy 24.19, there was this whole thing about if you forgot a sheaf of grain out in the field, that you were actually supposed to leave that sheaf there. Why? For the widows and the orphan and orphans and the sojourners. Or Psalm 146.9 says that the Lord upholds the widows and the fatherless. You want to be religious? You want to have a true religion? Well, here's a good way. Here's an example. Love the distressed people that God loves. Execute justice for those whom God loves. Give to those whom God loves. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. But then that other side of it is still there as well. That we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That we're to be holy. Brothers and sisters, we are not to be like the world. We're to be unstained from the world. First John says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world. One of the terrible testimonies given about a man in the Bible is a man named Demas who deserted Paul. And the reason he deserted Paul was because he loved the world. Yet the Christian, according to James is to be unstained. To be completely unstained from the world. And you see the contrast in verse 27, don't you? The call to the Christian is that they have a pure and undefiled religion before God. And the stain that often comes, that defiles them, comes from the world. So within this passage, I think you really see the whole process, don't you? The last week we raised up this idea of God bringing us forth by the word of truth. That is God who raised us up to new life. And how do you receive this new life? That God opens our eyes. He births us into His realm in regard to the truth pertaining to His Son. That it's the gospel that brings us forth. And so we repent and we believe the gospel, which I think is at the core, again, of what this word of truth actually is that James talks about. And so if verse 18 is true, and we have been made alive by God to believe in the gospel, and if verse 21 is true, that this same word has been implanted within us, then we have all been invited to live our lives in the context of the gospel. As those together who have been made alive by God by the word of truth, and called to do the word of truth together. So I ask you, are you properly responding to the word of God in your life? As you read the word and you hear the word, by the power of God's spirit, do you then do the word? Do you properly respond to the word that's been implanted within you? And may God help us to do that. Let's pray.